And a warm welcome to 3CR listeners to The Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald here broadcasting out of Melbourne, Australia on the stories that matter when it comes to the health of our wallet. We specialise in that uh, ultimate game of... uh, of economic survival and the monopoly powers that's threatening it from every single corner. And uh, the big challenge for us here is uh, looking at how those who own the earth, who own the government-gazetted natural monopolies, have an advantage over anyone trying to run a business or earn a wage. And... During the week, I had the opportunity to catch up with Max, a long-term Renegade Economist listener and 3CR devotee, and I was surprised to hear that Max still, he kind of, he knew what I was on about when it comes to replacing stamp duties with land tax, but he still was looking for the overarching purpose of my show. So today I'm hoping to answer that amongst a, a bit of a review of my U.S. tour. So, uh, yes, there's only been seven of the last eight shows have um, helped make my carbon footprint uh, in terms of miles flown to America worth it, and there's still a few more shows to go. So, uh, yeah, it's an amazing uh, nation, of course. You like to think that... uh, the, the world's leading economy is uh, being run by altruistic types, but as we know, reading the media each and every day, uh, the vested interests have their way when, whenever it really matters. And so uh, I started off in LA where I was lucky to meet Florian Gonzalez, who, who works for SAGE, Strategy for a Just Economy. And they're an NGO uh, of uh, specialising in housing rights. Uh, they seem to be in a network with the Rights to the City group I've discussed before and Just a Cause out of San Francisco. Predominantly tenants' rights, but they also are broaching into the sort of real estate commodification issues that we talk about here on the show. So it was fantastic to meet up with him and uh, head over to South Central L.A., where uh, helicopters were whirring overhead. And you wouldn't believe uh, what happened just the night before. There were there was a shooting just two doors down from where I interviewed Esperanza Gonzalez. And, yeah, it was quite something to hear her story. So I'm just going to play a little clip from some of the video footage here. So um, what is your name and how long have you been living here? Su nombre y cuánto tiempo ha vivido aquí? Dos Esperanza Rosales Granados y es aquí estoy viviendo tengo dos años. And who are you renting from? ¿Y a, a quién le está rentando? A Plaston. Plaston es la compañía que nos está rentando. So we're talking about Blackstone Capital. How much extra are you spending on rent here? So estamos platicando de, de la compañía Blackstone. ¿Cuánto estaba pagando más en renta en su, en su forma de ver? En mi forma, en mi forma de ver, este, o sea que yo creo que por esta casa han de ser unos 1.200 de renta, 1.300 por mucho. I, I feel that, uh, in, in my view, I feel I should be paying 1,200, 1,300 uh, rent here. 
And of course, Esperanza was paying $1,785, basically $500 above and beyond to Blackstone Capital via their holding company, Innovation Homes. And I must say, it was a well-renovated property. Uh, it looked the goods. It looked pretty well brand new. So uh, Blackstone had done a good job. They were charging an extra $500 above the market rate, according to Esperanza. And I was trying to figure out exactly what Blackstone was doing and uh, had a bit of a look around. And of course, the neighboring property was also owned by Blackstone. And there was a, a, some vacant land nearby as well. I wonder whether they'd pick that up. And who knows, maybe in a few years' time, they'll apply for the residential rezoning and enjoy uh, that upkick when they uh, launch plans for maybe a, who knows, a, a 40, 50 apartment development there. So that's the sort of big picture game that was going on. Uh, we always hear of the gangland warfare in South Central LA. Well, on the other side to it, there was this economic warfare going on with uh, these speculative interests buying up our homes, our real estate, and forcing prices up. That $500 is now missing out of Esperanza's savings plan to try and build up her, uh, her, her credit history so she can buy back into the market. Unfortunately, she was foreclosed upon, and it was a devastating story that I hope to bring out on film in the months to come. So, uh, yeah, that was quite uh, a sad story, but uh, so reflective of what we hear about as these new Wall Street derivatives start spreading around the planet. Yes, I've talked about them before, but rental-backed mortgage securities. I'll say it again. Wall Street was not satisfied with destroying the world economy with a residential mortgage-backed securities. With the mortgage-backed securities, they're now moving into the rental market. They're going to commodify the rental uh, market so that all those mums and dad investors are pushed out and yeah the, these uh, big corporate interests who specialize in uh, uh, dodgy payments i can't believe how many people in america still have to pay their rent via check it's something here in australia we are quite lucky having these electronic payments uh, automated payments all these sort of uh, uh, I don't know, what do you call them? They're, they're, they're benefits of life in 2015. Well, over in America, that's not the case. And uh, back uh, probably about a year ago now, almost a year ago, I interviewed Max Carlson in Big Tech Future. I think the name of the show was called Big Tech Future. And he's a, an amazing uh, commons-based uh, uh, software developer and uh, he lives in San Francisco he'd lived in a home there for I think five or six years and of course the rents in San Francisco had skyrocketed and uh, he was working in Korea he has to pay via check and of course uh, working 70 80 hour week sometimes he missed that payment and of course uh, he was uh, what they call in America a gotcha evicted where they gotcha and this is a byproduct of the uh, rent caps uh, that are placed uh, on uh, housing in uh, affordable communities in uh, creative communities in uh, san francisco new york uh, the two predominant ones so that rents can't increase too much well of course landlords are always looking to kick someone out because that then assists them in um bringing in new renters where they can uh, charge the market rent again.
So, of course, you can't uh, get long-term leases uh, very easily. And uh, this is part of the pressure point on uh, youngsters coming through the system on on how to uh, find one of these homes and then stay in the good good books with your landlord so you might be able to save up some money. And uh, who knows how you ever pay off your student debts of some eighty to a hundred thousand dollars and then save up probably another forty to sixty thousand dollars in America for a deposit and then. Um, perhaps you can enter into the great American dream, the great Australian dream, wherever it is. That dream is getting uh, uh, closer and closer to a nightmare. And uh, to uh, bump into the Just a Causa office in San Francisco and hear that these uh, rental-backed mortgage securities, which are also known as single-family rentals, SFRs is, a, is the acronym. They're now spreading into Spain, where, of course, Blackstone and Goldman Sachs, all of those uh, squid-like vampires are uh, out there. Vultures are out there uh, buying up cheap land and uh, sitting on it, waiting for the Spanish economy to rebuild, waiting for all sorts of incredible infrastructure projects to be publicly financed. And of course, that to lead to immense windfall gains for the speculative elite. So in San Francisco, the the catch cry there was that nobody has a living room. There's always a couch surfer, someone who's been uh, gotcha evicted, someone who's perhaps lost their job and uh, due to welfare constraints, there isn't much of a, a net there to catch people. So the community relies on those social networks and uh, in the face of incredible supply side constraints where uh, there's a lot of nimbyism, people don't want to have um, medium density developments in their neighborhood and that NIMBY sort of uh, lobbying power is very strong. Uh, that when combined with the international speculative elite roaming the planet looking for these easy profits well of course that's uh, a recipe for disaster and uh, this is the pointy side of globalization Uh, you know sure sweatshop labor is a big issue but the one that's affecting most of us every single day is the cost of land the price of housing so from san francisco I headed back to LA for a night there and uh, finally got to uh, visit Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard. And I was uh, happy to see that the pavement was in better condition than when I was there in 2009. Uh, and I uh, was tripping over rubble. Uh, sure, that was down the uh, eastern end of Hollywood Boulevard, but it still struck me back then on how much of an infrastructure challenge America has as this uh, leaky public finance system is no longer able to look after itself as so many uh, uh, holes have been carved in the tax equation, which is, of course, why the elites love a tax system based on our incomes and do not want it placed on our land, our earth, because it's, it's impossible to hide land in a tax haven. So I made it over to Detroit and thinking I was pretty cool, hooking up with a, uh, a mum and her 25-year-old son in their 25,000-square-foot warehouse on the Detroit River. They had a bike ready to go for me, and it was going to be on. I was looking forward to 
a couple of days exploring and filming up Detroit, and my Uber driver dropped me off in this uh, barren, desolate community. People were driving by going, what the hell is this white boy doing here? And I knocked on the door, no answer, no answer. Uh-oh, what's going on? Well, I quickly uh, checked my email, and of course, uh, she'd emailed in to say sorry. I'm stuck at a festival. I can't meet you, and our warehouse is too messy after that, uh, that gig we had the other night. So I'm going to hook you up with this guy, Mark. So give him a call. Here's his number. And I gave Mark a call, and he was a, a very nice guy. He said, yep, come on over. This is the home, McDougal Street, Detroit. Plug it into your Google Maps and have a look. Uh, have a look at the aerial um, shot. I'll put it on the earthsharing.org.au show notes uh, over the next few days. And you can have a look at just how many empty sites there were. I mean, seriously, you'd be lucky to say 20% of the, the blocks uh, the community there was occupied. It just looks like farmland. It's insane how empty it is. And this is only like three kilometers from the Detroit CBD. So another Uber driver dropped me, dropped me off at this place. And he was sort of like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing going to this neighborhood, that, that property? Uh, go and knock on our door. I don't know if I feel comfortable sort of dropping you off here. And so uh, I, I knocked on the door and no one was there and uh, spoke to Mark again. He said, ah. Don't worry, dude. I'll be there in a few minutes. I'm coming. I'm coming. So um, technology as it is, I, I sat on the uh, porch and um, Skyped my family in the afternoon sun. And Mark turned up and little did I know, um, as uh, he said, go on, take, you go first up the stairs. And I'm walking up the stairs and there's all this fallen plaster on the steps. And I walk past this big metal pipe and I'm starting to go, shit, what the hell? This is starting to really, okay, I'm, this might be shady. What's going on? And I'm thinking, heck, he's not going to whack me over the head and steal, you know, seven, ten grand's worth of gear off me, is he? And it turns out, uh, no, that wasn't it. But he said, go on, here's the keys, open the door, and and let's go in. And I open the door, and oh, my God, it uh, it was a bit of a freak because uh, the place was um, foreclosed. Well, it was a squat. And, uh, you know, I've been in squats before, but uh, this one just had a, a different element to it because it was filled with garbage bags and clothes all over the place. I couldn't believe how much um, mess there was, but uh, turns out most of this stuff was reasonably well organized in garbage bags and it was material, it was clothes, it was Air Jordan Nikes. I couldn't believe you had 20 or 30 pairs of them. And, um, yeah, that's what was going on as... Uh, uh, he'd been uh, roaming through some of these empty homes, gathering the best bits and leaving the rest. And um, uh, there he was living in a home f for nearly a year come this October. And uh, I um, <laughs> looked around and said, well, shit, what am I going to do? I texted this woman, Leslie, going, God, is this going to be safe? And um, no answer. So I said, well, at least it's going to make a good story. Um, I, I um, had some fun uh, at a uh, local music festival that evening and came home and Mark was uh, there. Next thing I know, he's pulled me into his room and I'm sort of noticing him rocking to and fro and I was like, what's going on here? What is, what's this story? And uh, turns out um, he was, he was kind of talking to himself under his collar. I'm like, what the freak is this? And he's talking and talking as if... Uh, 
someone's there, some sort of alien or something. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is crazy. And it's, I had the feeling that maybe he'd had angel dust back in the day. And uh, there he is pulling out, a, out his bag, doing some sneaky stuff. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And uh, went back to my room and um, yeah, some dodgy porticot that was falling apart, uh, threw the mattress on the ground and all of a sudden uh, uh, this... Uh, a funny old um, scenario erupted. One heck of a storm came through and a few leaks in the roof started to come out. Come out and uh, yeah, there I am wondering what on earth I'm doing on this planet. But uh, Mark, uh, you know, whilst he had his wild side, he, he did have a kind heart and I could see that. Uh, didn't really help me sleeping that night. It was a bit of a light sleep, I dare say. But yeah, I soon filmed up a storm the next day and uh, leaving the property uh, to, to film up the neighborhood, I bumped into the neighbor, Liz Boggs. And uh, she was a lovely woman who was uh, living the Detroit dream, if you like, and had bought the neighboring identical property with a huge, uh, uh, a huge uh, vacant block next to her on the corner and um, they were renovating the property and of course it had been vacant for six months and all the copper, all the wiring had been stripped in that time and probably sold off by some entrepreneurial type so that was costing her a fortune to redevelop it but she was a teacher at a local school and her social welfare uh, psychologist husband um, were uh, rebuilding the place and hoping to set up, would you believe it, a community land trust. So I couldn't believe I'd uh, bumped into someone right next door who had similar interests to what we do here on 3CR's Renegade Economist, talking about a way to future-proof the land so that the community can uh, live at lowest cost. And from that, there's more headroom to to basically be able to save up for solar to be able to uh, purchase uh, organic uh, food all those sort of things that are needed but uh, that's certainly not too much of a problem in Detroit where uh, there's plenty of uh, uh, urban farms underway plenty of gardens growing I was impressed to see that but uh, they they certainly need that local produce because it's a food desert the only real food you can buy there is takeaway junk sugar based junk so uh, the people have uh, spoken uh, working from the ground up and and that really is the key it's this access to land that enables our food sovereignty and uh, for those into food sovereignty we've got to get that right uh, I'll say it again I've got a spare driveway we run this power plants community nursery from it and for about five five hours a week we can produce uh, 500 seedlings a month so I imagine uh, a lot more could be done with, uh, you know, a team of uh, six to 12 volunteers. Uh, you know, we are not going to starve on this planet. There is plenty of land to grow our food. And when one plant can provide us a thousand seeds, 
you know, there are plenty of options to uh, to grow our way out of this and to also fuel our way out of it, uh, looking at the incredible returns that solar continues to give us. Now we have the Tesla Powerwall, uh, the whole peak oil, end of the world type scenario, I feel is fading. And uh, the big issue for me is not peak oil, but peak monopoly. How many patents have been bought up that will be ever so useful now? Let's hope that we can uncover one soon that uh, sequesters carbon because uh, not only do we need to go beyond sustainability towards regeneration, but we also need some incredible carbon sequestration to keep up with uh, what's happening out there. So sure, some will criticize me for saying that, but uh, I feel that's where we're going and I'm looking forward to being in Sydney for the next couple of days uh, up there for the Global Ecotax Conference at the uh, University of Technology Sydney with all sorts of academics from around the world where I'll be presenting... uh, under the uh, familiar type heading, Incentives for Rent Seekers or Regeneration. So, uh, yeah, the storytelling continues. And uh, I was very interested to uh, be in Detroit because, uh, uh, you know, it's a city that is uh, where I see many, many other cities heading, and that is towards this failed state sort of mantra. Uh, because of the failure of their public revenue system, this planned obsolescence of the public interest, which allows these vultures to sneak in and snap up our commons for fire sale prices. It's happening all around the world. You've heard me talking about it for year on year. And uh, in Detroit, it's a classic example where they have a very poor property tax system, a very poor uh, um, a land titling. So they, they don't really know who owns what land. Uh, it, it's pretty prehistoric and the land valuations are irregular. I think it's probably around 20 or 30 years uh, since they've been done. It's, I think I might be telling a fib there. It might have happened uh, in the boom years, maybe uh, you know, 10 years ago, uh, 2005, five six. So uh, property taxes are based on incredibly high prices, basically uh, double or triple what the land value is meant to be. And because of that, uh, people saw that it didn't relate to reality and many, many thousands of people started boycotting playing their property taxes. And this led to the financial disaster that uh, Detroit became. And Joshua Vincent, who uh, is uh, from the Center for Sustainable Economics, you can see his work at urbantools.org. He wrote to me in an email discussion following the conference there that this foreclosure crisis was different from what happened in the rest of the USA in the world. The evidence is that there is very little in the way of liar mortgages for the simple reason that no one really wanted to buy homes in Detroit even during the bubble. Most of the people facing foreclosure had no way to escape and run for the hills. They were retired and had very little equity to sell even if there were willing buyers. Remember you can buy a usable house for 500 bucks and rent it until the roof falls in. So he said there were, the foreclosures were driven by two basic issues. Assessed values had been gained by the state in uh, a proposal which was passed by referendum in 1994. It was a cap on assessment growth. 
which listeners sounds very similar to what New South Wales has suffered and now 75% of their councils are in financial distress. And guess what's happening in Victoria? The same thing, God damn you, Daniel Andrews. So this is a bad thing, putting a cap on our assessments. And uh, Josh goes on, it was uh, this uh, a cap on assessment growth, maintaining values so that it would not increase and therefore lead to higher tax bills. I don't think anybody foresaw, though they should have, that Detroit's residential base would shrink the tax base constantly from almost that year forward. The unintended consequence is that home values in Detroit are frozen in history, so tax values and tax bills are based on a fiction. Also, point number two, the city made a decision to not pursue back taxes as the crisis deepened. Much like the water bill crisis, people were convinced that nobody would ask them to pay the back taxes. The city's financial recovery plan all of a sudden called in the chips on back property taxes as well as water and other utilities. The city also had a penalty of 18% interest on back taxes. Recently, the state pulled that back to 6%. But 6% of nothing is nothing, of course. Bottom line, banks, lenders and uneducated mortgages seekers played a role. But I believe it's safe to say that this one is nearly entirely on the state of Michigan and the city of Detroit. The only way out of the vast majority of homeowners is a total forgiveness of back taxes and interests. Now, does the city want these people to keep their homes? I think it's a very open question. So, uh, yeah, as uh, Maureen uh, told us last week, uh, Maureen Taylor from the Michigan Welfare Rights Centre, that there's some 80,000 people facing water foreclosures in uh, Detroit. They've lost over a million people. If you have a look at that uh, satellite image of Detroit, you'll see that uh, they've got uh, huge amounts of sparse land, vacant land, and that means that the remaining taxpayers have to foot the bill for the infrastructure that hasn't been repaired for some 30 or 40 years. So it's a cacophony of uh, troubles facing Detroit. And uh, not only they have all of those problems, but they've got uh, this guy, Dan Illich, you heard Maureen talking about last year. He he owns... uh, the, the hockey team and the baseball team. His wife owns a casino. They've bought 45 blocks of Detroit of recent. They um, ha- own a th- thousands more properties. They run a national uh, pizza chain, which is how they started as entrepreneurs. And uh, just a week after D- Detroit declared bankruptcy, Illich got his dream realized in the public financing some 58% of his new hockey stadium that he'd been uh, planning for years and years. So, uh, yeah, basically the millionaires get things built for them and uh, the public has to pull money out of the schooling system and throw that towards Illich as he builds a uh, property empire surrounding this uh, new hockey stadium. He's got that M1 light rail we discussed last week linking them up so that that increases. And, whoa, I ran out of time, didn't I? So I'm just going to wind this up uh, and try and uh, summarize my way out of this show. So, uh, yeah, Illich, he enjoys that uh, light rail system that, again, the public has financed. And that's going to increase the likelihood of accelerated uh, windfall gains for him to enjoy on the $200 million real estate development surrounding this hockey stadium. 
It was frightening hearing some of the stories about this guy. I had a Uber taxi driver again. Uh, they always seem to tell better stories than normal taxi drivers, if you ask me. But uh, he was telling me how Illich did not like landowners refusing to sell to him and he would go to virtually any means to ensure he got the land. Well, the uh, state gave him uh, 36 blocks of land for free, basically, in this giveaway, sort of shock doctrine uh, slash confessions of an economic hitman type uh, approach to having uh, your lunch and eating it too. So uh, just across the road from this hockey stadium, uh, where these 36 parcels of land were given to him, uh, apartments are rented out for, I kid you not, $195,000 a year. That's right, $195,000 a year. And he can fit uh, at least eight of those apartments on this land, and he got 36 of them. So, yeah, each one of those 36 blocks is worth about $1.2 million at least. So uh, it's a clean-up operation. And surrounding uh, Detroit, uh, coming at Detroit from another angle, is Matty Maroon. He's the dude who owns the Ambassador Bridge I've discussed before. Uh, it's basically uh, America's number one choke point, uh, the, the prime, the only uh, trade route between uh, Michigan and Ontario. Sounds like uh, he pulls in about uh, $156,000 a day in tolls. The list goes on and on with this fella. But uh, he also owns the old Detroit Grand Central Station, the old uh, Central Rail Station, which is a beautiful building. You've probably seen photos of it, but uh, you know it's seen as one of the iconic uh, uh, vacant buildings of Detroit and uh, it's been featured in Time, National Geographic, all those sort of things. It's been vacant for 20 or 30 years and he's just sitting on his uh, on his butt uh, waiting for the community to develop the surrounding land there to push up the values. So uh, that's, you know, the constant theme we talk about here. There's also Dan Gilbert. He's the other big monopolist in town. He uh, owns some uh, 20% of downtown. He seems to be a bit of the good guy, though. I don't know. That's the way I read it in the press. I'm sure some people can tell me other stories on that. Uh, and there's also Hans Farms greenwashing their way to uh, property tax holidays is sort of the, uh, the, the greenwash attempt they've got going on there. So that's another one that... Uh, uh, is seeing this tragic downfall from this motoring city, the height of American industrial capitalism, to now one where these predators, these speculative uh, sharks, are uh, trying to basically undermine government and continue to snap up real estate, snap up uh, license monopolies for... Uh, uh, next to nothing and uh, sit back and wait because one of the big talking points at the conference was that uh, in perhaps 10, 15 years, the southwest of America may well be uninhabitable due to climate change, the water shortages. The California's been on fire basically for the last two or three months. It hasn't stopped there. And uh, yeah, they're saying, look, with climate change, Detroit's going to be a... Uh, one of the more livable arable regions to live out this climate-altered future. So maybe that's what uh, these mega millionaires, maybe that's what the Chinese and Japanese foreign investors are planning. 
is to uh, sit on this land and wait, wait, wait. Well, I'm about uh, out of time. I'd love to talk about what happened in New York. I reckon I'm going to strike up an interview there because uh, some incredible stories going on there with the High Line, a new infrastructure project there that I dare say you can uh, guess what that does. And so, yeah, to come back a full circle and uh, tie up uh, the answer for Max on um, what we're really aiming for here on The Renegade Economist is the revolutionary tax shift off our wages Switching taxes, why should we be penalized for working when so much money is made in real estate, so much money is made in all these natural monopolies, whether it's DNA patenting, big pharma, uh, or these electric utilities who uh, just are impeding the road to renewable energy, or all of those monopoly rents are enough to finance government we can outdo the neoliberals on efficiency by taking this line of thinking. That's what all these tax reviews are, uh, are pushing the general public to catch on to. I, in my laconic ways, <laughs> trying to awaken that sort of uh, thinking out there. This is my little contribution, but nearly every day you'll see uh, some amazing article that's out there talking about these issues and... Uh, yeah, you can track those on Twitter at Earthsharing or on Facebook on the same name. We've also got the Don't Buy Now group, which uh, is uh, going ahead of great guns. So uh, over 2,000 followers on that group. So uh, check them out and check out earthsharing.org.au. For the show notes, I'm going to be up in this eco-tax conference for the next few days, so I might be a little bit late getting them up, but uh, you get the drift. So, yep. Whoever thought I'd be talking tax reform, but uh, when you get your head around it, this is the carrot that directs our behavior, that determines how some people can make money in their sleep and the rest of us uh, work our brains out and run on the spot wondering why. Okay, my name's Carl Fitzgerald. Thanks for listening to The Renegade Economist. Let's uh, stay in touch, renegades at earthsharing.org.au.